Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This shit money prince, boy. Sherman North by the hillside. Urban folks from the six side. Burning smoke from a bridge site. Serving big lines. Virgin gal to the west coast. Perfect palace, my backwards. Curtains gone, she a rap book. Certain bars leave mash up. The remedy of any melody. Identify that I'm a genuine rarity. I'm rapping Queen Street and Kennedy. Dope bars, all I ever said. Born cars, I wanna get in them. So hard, a worth I never said. Coach Carter, I'm a better Ken. Know that I'm flying fast like Kamikaze. My throat, that throttle. Gone in the Maserati. I bang my song for Muhammad Ali. Stand tall, yet small like Mahatma Gandhi and shit. I got regold in both of my tits. You wanna smoke in both of my splits. You wanna kiss in both of my lips. I told him like this. Yeah. Why? Avaya Mighty is a gifted musician, singer, and rapper based just outside of Toronto in Brampton, Ontario. A member of the excellent hip-hop trio The Sorority, Mighty has released three albums, including 2019's politically outspoken and deeply personal 13th Floor. Ahead of tour dates around the world, Havaya and I caught up at a coffee shop recently to have a frank discussion about her upbringing in both Toronto and Brampton, racism, sexism, and the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which abolished slavery. Her musical education in a close-knit family and artists who influence her, the lyrics and music on 13th Floor, and much more. With the support of listeners like you who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly pledges at patreon.com slash creative control, plus in-kind support from CFRU 93.3 FM, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, this is the 475th episode of Creative Control featuring the dynamic and powerful Havaya Mighty with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Avaya. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for meeting me. Where are we exactly? We are at a, a lovely second cup in Brampton. Is this uh, significant for you, this place? When I used to be a little bit more into like sugary drinks, which has changed over the last two weeks, 
two yes. weeks. Yeah, I'm making some changes. You've just given up sugar in the last two weeks. Not all of it, but I'm definitely addicted to sugar in the liquid form. Oh, okay. Uh, London Fogs from Second Cup are a gem. Yes. And so this is a spot for that. It's also just very close to my work and my house. So it's okay. Like, it's okay. literally like the middleman point. Uh, so monumental in that way, but it's more, you know, just a great place to sit down and chat. It seems okay. It seems nice enough. It's not, they don't have like a lot of loud music going or nothing. So right. that's good. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so you're from Brampton, right? I live here. I'm born in Toronto, but I've lived here for the majority of my life. Majority yeah. of life. And do you, is there any particular reason you landed in, your family landed in Brampton of all places? I couldn't speak on the particulars of why it was Brampton that we landed in, but I do know that there were some difficulties with where we lived in Toronto. I think my parents and you know, I guess recognize the exasperation of some of those issues when they had four kids. Yeah. Uh, and just, I guess, recognizing even with from where we moved, which I was not yet born there to like where I was, where I grew up in Toronto. It was like around Girard, kind of near Girard Square. Oh, that's like uh, the Little India, right? Girard Street? I, or I don't know if okay how close to that particular area, but... My parents used to drag me to Girard Street when I was a kid. Okay. It was always like India to me, like a little India. Really? Yeah. But then when we went to India, I thought that India was Gerard Street on steroids. <laughs> I was so confused. I'm like, oh my God, it's just, I hated a Gerard Street because of my parents and like That's culture. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I always think of Gerard Street, but there, I mean, it's a big street, right? It goes... Yeah. The area generally is pretty big and like, I don't know. It's funny. Like I was so young, so I don't, I just know Gerard Square was like, it's like a like a like you it's recognizable for me because right. like we definitely were around that area but I don't know how I lived in an area called 66 Walpole okay. so it was close but I don't know exactly how close and I just also don't remember the demographic uh, around that area being very Indian yeah oh, okay. not at that time okay, okay. or even there like, being many visible minorities but I was also really young okay and I also like really only ever went out with my parents a big part of I think why we had to move was there's a lot of sheltering going on uh and it, that was because the particular area where we lived in, 66 Walpole, was extremely white and extremely low class. Oh. And we were extremely alienated for that. And then we were also a very big family and the only, well, four girls and then mom and dad. So six black people mm-hmm. in this very white area that's mm-hmm. pretty low class. And, and then you have like this really together family where mom and dad are here. And it was just like kind of like probably like, I don't know, like a representation that was hard to tolerate for the people that were living in that yeah. area. And they made it very clear we were not accepted. Um, so you have a sense of memory of feeling that alienation. Like how long were you yeah. living in Toronto before you moved to Brampton? Um, I was probably about eight. I think the biggest sense I have of it is how alienated I was from like having a social life because it was just, there was there was just really strict rules in place because it was like I didn't know particulars of why but I just knew like home and then school and then school and then home and there was no in between. Your friends are not coming over. I didn't really have any friends. I don't remember any person by name that mm. I could you know recall or that I have contact with or anything like that just because of the fact that the, the, the environment was not inviting. Police were called many times for the piano being too loud or people would throw bricks through the window and shell the N-word. So I remember My God, really? a couple of instances, but I think most of it I was sheltered from. And so I, I was not only sheltered from the negative, but also the positives of like social life and learning how to interact with other people and kind of like understanding yourself through not just the four walls of your house, right? Right. Well, Brampton, for those who don't know, is like a multicultural suburb of Toronto. Yeah. Did you? F- did your parents feel more relaxed when you moved here? I know that I definitely felt more relaxed. You did. I, yeah, and I, I mean, I know some of the big stresses is 
the things that the teachers were recommending my parents do with their children in the Toronto District School Board in that particular area as well. And I know for me, and I know my sisters had some issues, but the particulars, I was just, the, I'm the youngest girl. How many? So, so you're one of four kids? One of three older sisters. I have a younger brother now. Oh, you have a younger but brother he, now. Yeah, oh, he okay. didn't really experience Toronto. He he was born in 2001, so okay. it was a different time, and we were already kind of here. Right. But uh, with my sisters, I know that they've had some issues with schools uh, and with the treatment. But I know for me, like, it was just like what you did was exasperated. Like, I remember a kid bullying me and me giving him the, the finger and then that being the biggest deal. And they were saying to my parents, you know, she needs pills and anger management. And they're all, you know, I was in French immersion and was removed from that. And mm -hmm. to this day, think that that was all teaching style. And it was you know, this lack of understanding of an energetic kid. I'm still that energetic kid. You yeah. see it on stage. Yeah. Um, and this attempt to remove that energy from me and to like convince my parents that it was something that was wrong with me and then to even restrict education based on that concept. It, so there was just a lot of different things that I think when we moved to Brampton, I know for me, like I went from being anger management, being slow, you know, getting terrible grades to like you're gifted, you should do this test. I had an IEP, I carried me till grade 12. Like I went to like a special high school that was based on my grades, based on academic this and that. And the, the I, I guess the dichotomy of it is why I champion Brampton so much because my experience in Brampton was like, I got like a little bit of a late start socially, Yeah. but it was like, it was really gratifying to be able to ride my bike across the street and go to the park with my sisters and be able to interact with the other kids. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a small thing, like it's not like, the crazy, like I, I wasn't shot. It's not like this crazy trauma, but I don't think people necessarily recognize how much those first years of your life, I, um, I guess attribute to your identity. Oh, they're and, very formative. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely think a part of my work ethic, lack of letting distraction like get in the way of certain things, uh, being able to like have a trajectory and laser focus on it. A part of that comes from very little, very little distraction when I was very young, and hmm. my fa my family vibe and including them in all of my projects, that is a part of that as well because they were my friends. Like, I didn't have any friends until, you know, Brampton pretty much, so. That's interesting. You know, around the world, people think of Toronto as this multicultural mecca. And yet, it seems to me that the what's becoming out more and more, particularly over the last couple of decades, is just how racist that city can be. And oh, uh, yeah. that's an underlying thing. And I, I just didn't know this about your story, that that's a major part of it. Like, I mean... I yeah, it's 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 I say it's pretty, pretty major. Yeah, because it's the first eight years of your life like that's and I and even my, my last project Flower City like that was championing Brampton because it was like, wow, all of these ideologies that I formulated, they formulated here and yeah. with the teachers that were here. And I mean, I can't speak for the Toronto District School Board as a whole or Toronto as a whole. But like, let's be real. There are pockets. And a racism very much exists in, in, in Canada in general. There's this. Yeah. There's always this perception that there's no racism in Canada because it's more subtle and a little less direct than some other places. But it's like I have felt it. My family has felt it. It's affected me. It's impacted me. Uh, it may. It is part of my resilience. Um, and so I speak about it often because it is something that exists. And I just the narrative that it doesn't to me is 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 based on the fact that it's more subtle. So we can pretend it doesn't exist. And like. Subtle racism sometimes can be more dangerous than direct racism. So microaggressions and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I want to get into this with you on your new album. Congratulations on this new album. Thank you. It's fantastic. Uh, it's called 13th Floor. Yes. And I want to talk about it in a moment. But I, I just want to go back to something you said uh, about um, your time in Toronto with your family and, and the neighborhood you were in. Mm -hmm. You were saying brisk, 
bricks would get thrown through the window. Police were called when the piano was played too loud. <laughs> that that stuck out for me. You come from a musical family, right? Yes, yes. So you would be playing music with your family and people would complain? Yeah. All of my older sisters are like piano players and singers as well. Uh, but they all play like at a level I wish I could. Like right. I just kind of dibble dabble and I produce with what I have. But that's me like living vicariously through the person I wish, you know, it was in the, the, the piano lessons with my sisters. Like they're all really talented. And uh, we had. Did you, we, were you offered the lesson and you rebelled? No, they all had piano lessons and I had singing lessons. But they can all sing, so they, I don't know what the what so was the reason for you why were we got envious of the piano lessons. You wish I you just had? think it's a beautiful instrument. It's my favorite instrument. I wish I could uh, conquer it the way my sisters are able to, especially my oldest sister. Um, but my sisters, Alicia Novlet and and Omega, and that's like oldest to right before me. Yeah, would it would mostly be them practicing. So it wouldn't even necessarily even be like jamming. Like we were. We oh, were they very, were just practicing their yeah, we lessons. We were very like yeah. we were like when we were young. We were like we trained every day. We we were the mighty family, so we would train together and independently. We went to a music school in Scarborough called the New Conservatory of Music, and like we had lessons weekly. And so that was like it was a serious thing. It was like school at home. And right. my sisters would would train and they would play and you'd practice. And with any instrument, you'll know, but particularly piano, practicing is so incremental. Like you have to do it. Yeah. And. I don't remember the particular instance, but I like I remember like it being a thing that re- like a, that my parents like often brought up because it was something that happened a lot. Like the police were called several times. They huh. would show up. They'd realize it was just the piano. They'd leave. It was to the point where the police actually went to uh, maybe they can track the calls, but they actually had to tell the callers like they were harassing us and this right. was the police defending this family of four young black girls and then mom and dad because it was just so obvious did you know who the callers were like it was you? the neighbor i don't know who the neighbor was and oh, okay. i had no relationship with any of my neighbors hmm. back then so like do you know okay, i don't know so which one it was you don't know if they might have had some issues with you guys because you were black person i mean like you can i remember hearing the n-word being shouted when the brick came through the window that right. happened twice and i even remember like the day that we moved to brampton the day we left um we were parked kind of like outside it's like a it's like a residential area it's like a plaza almost but there's obviously no stores yeah and so we were sitting just like, like i guess the brink of the area we're about to leave go on the main road and there was someone it's, it's a whole area so it was like Houses on top of houses on top of houses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember someone throwing a rock from the top, like, and this was like not even on the side that we lived on. So like, I feel like the whole area was aware of the one black family. You know what right. I mean? And no one was rocking with it. But I do remember the rock coming, and it, it were an egg. It was an egg when we and it, they threw it on our windshield from the top. Oh my god! The day we were lo- uh, leaving, and and we're done, we're done, and I remember that, and the the brick and the glass. I remember that. There's a lot that I don't remember and a lot I think my parents sheltered me from. And so those little instances weren't able to like, I guess, change my childlike nature or look at like other little kids that are white and like be like, oh, your dad. You know what I mean? Like right. they, they really kept it under wraps. So like I knew but I didn't know. And I think, you know, when I came to Brampton and I started to be accepted, my education started to flourish. I started doing extremely well in school. Yeah. Everything just felt different, and I don't know if it was the region or the area in Toronto where we were. I don't, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was like night and day for me. But did you face a similar amount of like persecution from anyone in Brampton that you no. had nothing even close? No, hmm. no. Like you had kids that would say stuff, and a kid might use the N word, right? But th- this was these were like adults, like adult families, like yelling at kids. Like it was. I didn't have that experience in Brampton. 
That's, not even close. So, okay. So this experience in Toronto has informed... I, I view you as a, a conscious rapper for whatever that oh, means. <laughs> is, is that a compliment? I would say it's a compliment, yeah. Well, you seem, you know, you mentioned your education, I suppose, and, and how you were gifted. And I don't think you were boasting, by the way. But oh, you flourished in school. And I am hearing a lot of history on 13th floor. And I know that there's a kind of thematic element to this notion of 13th floor yeah. and how it relates to the 13th Amendment which was meant to abolish slavery. Yep. Can you elaborate upon that? Have I touched upon it? Yeah, no, you touched on it for sure. It's definitely like multi-layered. I kind of look at the title of 13th Floor like a Jordan Peele film because it's like there's <laughs> there's layers to it. The first layer is there's 13 songs on the record. Um, so each record is like a floor that yeah. you go on and you get to experience that part of my narrative, like a snapshot of my journey. Right. The second aspect of it is that it, there's a song 13 on the album based on the 13th Amendment, which is largely based like it's 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 it that concept is responsible for my trajectory before i was even born like that's my history do you right? remember when you learned the 13th amendment or, the, or right before i wrote the song i didn't know that you didn't know about it i didn't know that that's what the 13th amendment said and and the moment i learned was why i wrote the song it just spilled out of me because i didn't realize it was in layman's terms that slavery is still existent like right. in in their exact words right and i think i always understood that con not always but for a long time i've understood that concept i've spoken about oh jail they they have you know inmates and the inmates are doing you know labor for companies they wouldn't be able to work for if they were out like i understood that concept for a few years but the language of it and how clear and direct it was inspired that song this is the 13th amendment of the u.s Constitution? yes yes okay yes so you're a canadian thinking about America's relationship to slavery in the year 2019 from Brampton or <laughs> Toronto. So it's that's interesting in itself. Is there a reason why you came upon this amendment um, at this point in your life? I think I like to do research. I'm the type that watches a lot of documentaries. Right. I read self-help books. Like I just really like to like educate myself in, in every facet possible. And I don't remember exactly what rabbit hole I was going down that day. <laughs> but I think for a while I was doing... I was looking into the idea of, of, of slavery and how that related to the jail system. Right. Um, and I was looking into that, that concept specifically. And I know that there's apparently like documentaries about this that reflect on specifically the amendment, but I didn't stumble across that information. I stumbled across the, the amendment itself, though, in layman's terms. And it was like a YouTube video that I saw. But I think it was the, the directness of the language that inspired me to speak on it because it's like the, you can't run from the language. If I reference the amendment... You can deny my argument, but you can't deny the language of the amendment. Right. And so my argument stands true because I'm basing it on something that you can't fight. Well, what is the relationship between the 13th Amendment, which is a historical thing, it's something that people can look up if they're not familiar with it, and what we, the 13th floor imagery I find fascinating as well. This is, if you're, on a, if you're at a hotel, which by the way, you and I met briefly <laughs> in Ottawa yes. at, a, at a hotel, and I, I meant to say this earlier, I got to see you play with the sorority at um, the Megaphono Festival. It was amazing. Thank and you. I, I appreciate I, I that. Loved, it was great. Did you have a good... Was that a good show? Yeah. Stand I played okay. Megaphono with a sorority as well as solo, and it was really, really yeah. dope. Yeah, it, it was amazing. And anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. Thank you. it was you. a nice memory from a couple months ago. But yeah, if you're at a hotel and there's a 13th floor, it won't be listed in the elevator. Mm -hmm. It's like we ignore the 13th floor. Yep. And I think is the is the kind of metaphor, if you will, that... We ignore the Thirteenth Amendment the way we ignore the sort of. So okay. the two uh, initial points of of uh, I guess the Thirteenth Floor relating to the Thirteenth Amendment and the number of tracks on the album is kind of like 
the first few layers, like the surface layers. Yeah. But I think the main concept and the main reason behind why that title was so suitable to me, you did touch on it, is the dismissal of the concept of the number 13. Uh, and what we think it represents and what we're told in North America, so Canada and the Americas, what we're told that that represents. So negative, omens, bad luck, Friday the 13th. We think about all these things. and we all, Negative things. And we all seem to have this understanding that that's what 13 represents. Yeah. And yet we have no background knowledge of it or an understanding of where that comes from. Nor do we really understand that in other societies, 13 represents sometimes the complete opposite. In, in, in other countries, can you give, can you give, give me an example of that, though. Do, I, I've never heard this before. I'm not. Is this a numerology thing? What is this exactly? Um, well, in in, in, numer, in numerology, yeah. If you were to look into what 13 means outside of North America, you'll yeah. find very different answers right. and very different understanding. Like the concepts that are understood are different outside of this construct of right. North America. But in, I can only speak on what I really know. Right. Sure. And in North America, you know, I, I don't live in an apartment, but I I also learned recently that most buildings don't have a 13th floor. Like. Right. It's uh, it's it's confusing. It's ar- architecturally confusing. Clearly, there must be a thirteenth. And it's floor. very it's very clear that the floor we're standing on is the thirteenth floor. <laughs> right. and we just call it the fourteenth floor. Right. And so this, to me, is the same dismissal that any marginalized persons like myself experiences. It's an experience I speak on, mm. and someone's like, "Well, you didn't go through that." I don't believe that that's what you went through. I was told this about you, and so this is what I believe. Right. Your narrative is dismissed. Right. And wipe it. Right. And to me, that is the main representation of the thirteenth floor. In literal terms, I'm standing on the 13th floor to prove that it exists. Something that you've dismissed your entire life, our infrastructures uh, reinforce that, and yet I'm somehow standing on it. If I remove whatever the elevator says, it's the 13th floor, and this is where my narrative lives. This is where your narrative lives. This is where all of the dismissed narratives that the, the, the privileged or whomever, you can be privileged if that narrative is not yours. Like I can still be privileged to ignore somebody else's narrative, even though I have my own marginalization. And I just think we we have way too much of this, like, I don't get it, so I don't believe it, and let's just create, like, an opinion based on these things we don't understand, and then, and that, that for me is, you know, my, what, what marginalized, like, what I've been marginalized for, those things that make me stand out, my hair, that everybody now has, but wasn't cool yeah, when yeah, I was in grade yeah. six and seven, these things now are identifiers of strength for me, but had I given into the things that were said about these things before now, before 2019 as an adult, where I've been able to champion it and find triumphant, triumphant in it, I would have removed those things. I may have cut my hair. I may have silenced yeah. how loud I am. I may have decided not to rap because stereotypes. And I may not be the person that I am. And so to me, like silencing narratives like removes beauty. It removes legends. It removes stories. And so the 13th floor is like I'm trying to have a, be, be a part of... I guess the change of that and I think it's really important that what people have to say is share whether or not you agree I, I just and we're seeing a bit of a resurgence of that too the climate shifting a bit and new stories are being told a bit and I, that's got to just keep happening more I want to touch upon that a, a bit stuff you're just saying because you're talking about how at this point in your life maybe your hair maybe your complexion maybe the way you are is more acceptable on some level or more acceptable than it was when you were in grade school or growing up but that speaks to your own coming of age you're in your mid-20s now right you have clearly i've seen you perform i'm listening to your rap your raps you are empowered you 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 are fierce like you have a ferocity there and a confidence that you were probably taught by 
people of the Toronto District School Board not to have <laughs> uh, on some level. So I can see you coming into your own, yes. but that a little things are changing a little bit. There is this feeling that things are changing, that, that we are listening to marginalized voices more. It's not enough, mm-hmm. I, I don't think, but no. is that how you feel? Like I would agree. Yeah. I mean, and it's you're right. A part of it is like... I remember being in high school and like speaking on colorism issues with like the black kids on the black bench and being like, you can't just create the separation between light skinned women and dark skinned women. And like, I remember like being called a black panther by the other kids, and the, there was just no concept of discussion. Right. It was just me sharing an opinion and everyone being like, whoa, you're so political. And I can't say that it, like, I can't get, have a direct comparison. Those right. were high school kids. Right. I'm now talking to adults that may also be coming of age. And it might be the exact same if I go into a school. And, but I do, I do feel more comfortable in speaking my truth. Yeah. I, feel a little, I, feel, I feel more comfortable putting it in my music. I definitely think the climate of rap and of females in rap has, has shifted. There was a time when you know, white girls like Krayshawn in 2012 were dropping the N-word and that was the cool thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. in a time like that, I don't think I could have ever flourished. You know, and that right. was not that long ago. So I definitely think there's a shift, which is somewhat positive. Um, and I just want to, I, I don't know, be a part of, I think people are asking for something different. I think people maybe don't even know that they want something different, but are, you know, more willing to accept a different sound music that has a little bit more to say. I, I think it's time. Like, I definitely think things go in waves as well. And, you know, we went from like conscious to semi-conscious to Garbo and you know hopefully we're yeah. coming back yeah, and yeah, yeah. We, we have all sorts of music I like to listen to Ratchet and Fun and Trap yeah, but yeah. I definitely think there needs to be contribution that you know a, a young black girl like I once was and still am I guess I'm getting older but you know a young a young black girl or even any other minority but you know specific to my experience you can kind of see someone that looks like you that's like hey you can you could do this too like yeah. I don't have to say it in layman's terms of you can do this too but like by seeing it that representation Issa Rae Insecure same idea the concept that she owns this show the HBO show yeah 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 you know so uh, I think those things are powerful and I think you know I will never even feel how powerful that is because I'm not in high school anymore or I'm not watching TV and looking for a representation that looks like me anymore yeah you know like no there was nobody on TV with dreads that you you would respect or you know associate with anything revered you know what I mean and you, so it, yeah. you need we need more of that. We need to you know not just see black women in slavery roles in movies or maid roles in movies and stuff like that. Or the color purple. We need to see, which is that that is important too. But like, what's where's the opposition of that? Where is just like that regular human being that is entrepreneurial and, tri- and triumphant and and recognizes at a young age that they can do that too? Like if every entrepreneur you see is a white man who owns a business, you'll never even wrap your brain around the concept that you could own something, right? Right. So right, right, right. It, it, it's it's not just specific to people that look like me. Obviously, my narratives will be more direct to those people. But I mean, I, my management team works with, you know, a tribe called Red, Jeremy yeah. Dutcher. Like yeah. so, the, these you know, Jean Michel Blay, these artists. I mean, just I think I've always had these thoughts, and I think what's been really empowering is having a team that's like, yeah, speak your truth, and let's like get that in front of the most amount of people as possible, and then to have like allies who are speaking their truth and to see them be awarded for it and to see like the empowerment and see how many people that are touched. It's just way better than a dope trap song about drinking Henny. Like I no, it doesn't do enough for me. I hear you. And I wonder if you have any perspective on why there might be this rise, even if it's incremental in empathy for voices like the ones you mentioned, like a tribe called red Jeremy Dutcher yourself. 
you say speak your truth, but there's more people willing to listen. It feels like to me anyway, mm-hmm. there's more people willing to listen. And I, I'm not, I know you're not a sociologist. You don't maybe know why, why that's trending upwards, but do you have some perspective? Is it just because so many people like yourself are speaking out more that, um, that you have more listeners? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a little bit more of a, of a conversation with, with younger people, I think, less than... Like, we come from a time where you, you grew up knowing what you know. Yeah. And, you know, even with what, what slavery has done to black people for 400 plus years, it takes years to, like, kind of be able to break that cycle for some. And uh, I'm privileged to have been raised in a household where I have both mom and dad I was always taught to love myself. I've never doubted myself based on my skin color, my skin yeah. tone, the fact ever, never, ever, ever, ever. And that's a privilege. I know that. I know it's, it's a privilege to have both mom and dad in the house. I know that. Um, especially in the black community. And I, and I definitely see the difference with me and some of my friends because of that alone. And yeah. I have people in my life that are like, wow, you have no idea how beautiful that looks. Right. When I come to your birthday party and I see your mom and your dad and three your sisters and your little brother Negus and I see you all together and you know, your mom's this old, your dad's this old, but you guys and your brother's this old and you're just still so tight knit and the, like the fact that your family doesn't bicker in a way where you don't talk to each other anymore. So I'm grateful for that alone. Uh, for me, that's just like a, a, a foundation. That's how you were raised. Uh, but I feel like culturally, there's a lot of like disdain for millennials, millennials don't care about anything. Mm. You know, they think everything needs to be handed to them. But what I'm seeing is the opposite on some level. Uh, I mean, you look at the gun control issue in the United States and what high school students have done mm-hmm. to speak out against it and affect change about the climate as well. You're seeing more young people mobilizing, realizing that that's how you get your voice heard. Yes. That's how you spread the movement. All And Black Lives Matter, obviously. Yeah. Occupy Wall Street. There have been just movements that I think are driven by young people. I count you among them. And I I feel like that's having real efficacy. Like it's having a real effect. Yeah. I think for me, it came from home. For me personally. Yes. Yes. But I'm seeing society have a shift. And I don't know if that's because we're getting further and further away from a narrative we were told for so long that we didn't question, just like the 13th floor. And we're now questioning it. And I don't know if it's because they're younger people coming up and they're like, I look like this. I'm told this. But like, there's a lot of separation between what I'm being told and how I feel. So I got, I have all these questions. With those questions comes like a little bit of a fight. Resistance, because that's what conservative voices, the ones in charge, definitely are really resistant to the questions. They don't want to be questioned for their actions. They don't want that discomfort. No, and I think that's what's going on. I think yeah. you're asking those questions. That's fascinating. I, and I love, I love, like, I think you know, I've I heard this uh, recently that like more recently like. Why people have been made to feel less comfortable by these narratives. If that's what has to happen, that's what has to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. it's, it's not to target any individual specifically, but I, I, I say this and I'll say it t- till the end. I, I don't have allies that are not able to hear what I'm saying and have that discussion. I don't care if you're black, I don't care if you're white. I'm not, you're not my friend yeah. if this is too much. Because right. like I, when I have conversations, it's genuine. It's genuinely conversations. Yeah. It's it's picking your brain. You're picking my brain. We're not talking about your ancestors. We're not talking about my answers. We're talking about 
our answers. There's no right. specific. If you take this on and you and you feel like I'm talking to you, then I probably am because you probably are what I'm identifying right. or what I'm describing. So, and the most progressive conversations I have are with those people, black or white, that are like, yeah, and here's my experience, and then this this back and forth, right? So, I don't, I don't, I don't know what what I can't speak again. Uh, on the specifics of exactly why but I definitely do think that there's more there's more speaking up there's more listening and there's a little more of like this discomfort yeah that people are I guess getting a little more comfortable and feeling yeah you know and I yeah. talk to I talk to my white friends too who speak on that discomfort or or oh you know I find it difficult to talk about race in a setting because like I'm willing to listen to those conversations too. Yeah. So I can give you my black perspective on the things that you can do if you care for my opinion, that back and forth we're having, and you can give me your white opinion on, you know, and 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 that to me is the growth or the evolution that we can have. Conversations. Um, yeah, yeah. Some 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 people have a little bit more of an aggressive approach, which I think is is necessary too. Yeah. But my approach is a little bit more discussion based and conversational because my temperament is like that and also my goal when I release my content is to have the most positive change for the most amount of people, yeah. not only people yeah. that look like me. And so I can't be like, you did this or we did nothing. I have to speak on the, what I see. So the weaknesses in the black community, I speak on that in the 13th Amendment as well right. as the things that white people have done in the past to contribute to that. I speak on both sides. Mm -hmm. I feel more comfortable speaking on it. I still don't feel 100% comfortable speaking on it. And I know that it still can alienate you from opportunities and set you back and, and hold you back. And some people will, will deem you racist off top because you're speaking about race and they think you're race baiting. Race baiting is a funny term to me, too. Um, or the race card. These are funny terms to me. Right. Um, because it's dismissal. It's the same 13th yeah. floor concept. And we're, not, we're just not doing that anymore. You can say that all you want, but I'm referencing facts. Yeah. That's why the 13th Amendment, songs like that, these are facts. What, can you, what fact can you use to like discredit my fact. Yeah, and you have this very powerful clip at the end of the record um, of a who's speaking there. So that's my that's my friend Brian. This oh. is this is just a friend of mine. Like, and these are like regular conversations I have in my car. It was a conversation, and I was like, you know what? I want to talk to you about this idea of trauma passed down through DNA. I just want to talk about it. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, cool. And I was like, oh, can I record it? Because sometimes I like to record conversations with my friends. It he's, could always end up in music or I could end up being a sample, but sometimes it ends up sparking ideas. He's your friend? What Does he have an academic background or anything? How would you just, no, how no would, specific academic how would, background. How would you characterize what Brian does? He's American. He's American. He's an American black a, man. He's the clip, and I'd, I'd ask you to kind of uh, echo it or articulate it, because I found it to be very profound. And the fact that it's at the end of the album... It's fascinating because uh, it makes me want to re-listen to the album again because I can start to hear how it's informed. You actually quote it ostensibly. You paraphrase it in one of the songs uh, where you're talking about the role of women and raising children. Um, yes. And anyway, I'm, I'm giving too much away. Can, it's you, all good. <laughs> can you articulate Brian's Sorry. perspective? Yeah, I mean, like when, when people hear the record, you'll definitely see what he said. I can't say it as beautifully as he said it. Like, I couldn't believe how like profound to what he said felt very well-spoken gentleman we 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 link up every two months and we just talk about stuff and yeah. then he does what he does in life and i do what i do in life right. and i don't even remember how i even met brian but right like we just it might have been long mcquade where i work but he's he's an intelligent person 
and he definitely is a progressive thinker. And so I wanted to have that conversation with him as an American man, yeah. as a man, first of all, yeah. and his, his idea of, he took it to the woman perspective. We were just talking about trauma passed down through DNA. Um, and it was his opinion, which I thoroughly agree with, that causing trauma to the woman is, is, is the most detrimental thing you can do for you know, the information of DNA and, 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 and how that will transcend mm. and how that will be picked up for years and years and years and years to come. But essentially what he was saying was that you know, the most damaging thing that you can do to a woman or to the black woman or any woman is negatively impact her DNA or to hurt her or to cause trauma to her. Instill them with fear on some level, right? Yeah, you probably remember better than well, I do. I'm sorry, I don't mean to... I, well, this notion of instilling them with fear and that's passed down to their children so they're afraid of their children achieving or standing yeah. out on some level. And I found that just really fascinating that that's a t- as a tactic to try to cripple a whole cultural realm, a whole group of people is by going after the moms, going after the mm-hmm. women uh, who are the ultimate, if you cripple their ability to properly nurture and care for their offspring, that is an ingeniously nefarious thing to do if you want to damage a whole group of people or a whole species, a whole whatever it is. Yes. If you really want to pass that on. And I just was like, oh my God, I never really thought of it that way. And when you re-listen to the album, if you didn't catch it the first time, you'll hear like that exact concept yeah. at the end of 13. Yeah. And so there's so many things that tie the number 13 into why the album is called that. Um, because that was not planned. Like the album was done. And then I had this recording and I was like, I need to flip 13 and put his... So yeah. I took it and I remade... Like there's elements of the 13th song in the production on that outro. Yes, yes, yes. But then I added certain things. I replayed certain things. I made it a little darker. I made it more minor because of what he's saying. Yeah. And because I wanted it to close the album. And it just was so profound what he was saying. But yeah, like I say it on, you know, on 13, that song, you know, when I'm talking near the end and I speak on... Like the more than indigenous blacks with the honest, like the, 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 the smartest and truest professionals literally teaching you about chemicals. My history isn't viewed on a pedestal. Try to tell me only few of my ancestors had anything to offer. If we wasn't strong, you would never bother. If we, like, and, and, and I go straight into, if we ain't a problem, then why would you put all your resources in just to get to conquer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, then you have the black woman who's being raped by the slave master. So she raises her daughters to avoid that yeah. and the black man being tied to horses and separated in two and that happening so you raise the black man to live in fear and I speak on that specifically because that's right. also there's a divide of black men black women and how we view each other and I speak I, I, it's funny how that starts with the 13th amendment and then it comes to wow yeah, yeah. black people are so so divided right? and here's where it comes from this is not a your fault, your fault, your fault. This is a systematic issue. We can look at the root, understand that it's no one person, and this is a collective issue we can work on and then pull it back. But respect, like, this is not a race thing. Women don't get enough respect, period, period, Yeah, period, that's, period, the, that's period. what makes it profound, because on the one hand, you personalize it on that song. You say, you know, I was in shackles in 1640. Like, you kind of bring us to this moment in history. Yes. But... At the same time, I know you're speaking as much about being a woman and for women as you are being black. And those same shackles exist for women and they have yeah. for, uh, for <laughs> centuries. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really fascinating thing you've done on this record. And I, I, I want to, I, I, well, there's more to say about this and maybe we can, but I now want to jump back in time to your singing lessons 
and, and try to figure out how you got into rapping. Who, oh, who got okay. you into it? Like who your influences, inspirations are? Because you are a very clever and smart rapper, if I might say. Thank like you. I love your flows and I love the puns. There's like lots of cool jokes, like the Broadview joke at one point. <laughs> you got that. And the Broadview and the East End thing. And then there's the Factor Grants thing. Yeah, oh, you listen. There's some really clever <laughs> little funny things amidst all this other stuff. Yeah. And I'm just curious, like, can you talk about your, your hip hop DNA, so to speak? Uh, started late, like the rest of my life. Um, grew up no social, really anything except music. And it was like Disney and Broadway and, yeah. you know, Whitney Houston and all the little gumdrops, that sort of stuff, kid songs. Right. Is that what your singing lessons were? Y- y- well, yeah, it was like, yeah. you know, like Le-, Le Miserable and stuff like that. It was just like Broadway, Lion King, that sort of stuff. And you draw upon, like, you're beautiful. That's you singing on this record, right? Yeah, like, a lot. Beautiful yeah. singing as well, yeah. Thank you. And yeah, that yeah. comes from seven years of trained, like, and I don't think I'm the greatest singer, but I do think seven years of singing lessons really trains your ear. Absolutely. My ear is really, really... I know what I want. I know how to get there. And then I, I know whether I need to get someone else to do it or whether I, I, I know exactly how to create an idea right. that exists in a Hawaii Mighty medium. Right. That comes from definitely the singing lessons and seven years of just like literal training in that. Uh, but I, I remember like, yeah, we, we, we did singing lessons for many, many years. For me, it was seven years, seven to 11. We moved to Brampton. The commute was now longer. Uh, we now had a home. So I'm yeah. sure my parents had less money. And we right. also had one too many like the most amount of scholarships you could get oh. from the new conservatory of music so we were like had to pay full pot for everything but very talented you clearly your family is yeah talented. There are, yeah we definitely are very musical your um, sister's on this record too right omega's yeah, on yeah, this record yeah, yeah she's crazy she's so she yeah. was she was actually a performer before i was well we were all performing young but she was like performing at chinkuzi and bringing me out to do rap verses and i was like okay and i was and so i've i've gotten a lot of my live performance from her from her confidence uh omega's dope but Sorry. yeah it, i i uh, kind of fell into rap because we had no more lessons the commute was too far the cost became too much because scholarships no longer existed right. and i was like wow what am i gonna do with all this free time right and um you know my cousin tells me my cousin micah he tells me I used to always listen to his Walkman and he had like hip hop, but I don't remember like those instances. I guess I, I, gra- I fell into it before I knew I fell into it. I don't remember that, but he's like, you are, every time I came over, you were like, let me hear your, your music and you I would to listen it. to it. Yeah. So I don't quite remember that, but I do know like when, when singing lessons stopped, there was this void of musical education and my know, weekends were free. Do you know what year roughly you were listening to? I was to 12, them? so... So this was great. 14 years ago. Six, yeah. So 2005-ish. Yeah. I just wonder if your cousin Mika was listening to what was like kind of popping at the time. Were they an old school person? You don't remember. It would have been old school. Okay. It would have been old school. Golden music. age. Like, yeah, I would have been like I would have been like seven or eight, like even still in Toronto at those days when I was listening to the Walkman. Okay. So that would have been like NWA, Public oh, okay. Academy, okay. Fisher Tupac, Biggie, because, Big L, all that. So that's a, you, you mentioned like that you're into rap, like you listen to all sorts of hip hop music. And I hear that in the production as well on your record and and your ability to switch up flows. But you've got this you've got this consciousness that we've talked about quite a bit in terms of like kind of political socio political dialogue. But then there's the cleverness as well, and I that's fascinating to me. Like you you're an entertainer, and you're an educator at the same time, and that's like a public enemy esque 
realm, isn't it? Yes. Like, but I mean, it's funny because I did not fall into hip hop with that style of music. Like when I started really listening to it and seeking out myself, I was listening to what was out. So it was early 2000s. So 50 Cent was <laughs> my guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 50 Cent yeah. is like, I think in terms of curating a record, that really rubbed off on me. 21, 21 questions. That whole thing, like the Get Rich or Die Trying yeah. album. The album as a body of work. That's your thing. That's part of why I make music the way I make it. It has to live. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's like a piece of art. Hmm. And I always felt like that album was like a piece of art. Everyone had this piece of art everyone was familiar with this piece of art everyone knew at least one song of that piece of art and could say it from you know the beginning to the end of the song me i could say that whole album i would pride myself on how well i could enunciate along with him i, I love the ability for him to tell his story that i could not identify with at all but i could like listen to and then pull my own experiences from it right i haven't been shot not even once let alone nine times right but listening to that i still felt like I, my own experiences were coming out of listening to his um and so from a storytelling perspective from being as real and true to what he was doing as he was at that time that was my introduction because i my parents didn't know i was listening to so i was able to like listen to this album and thoroughly in full i had my friend on the album i borrowed it mm -hmm. i now had friends you know at this point so i could be exposed to things that wasn't coming from four walls of my house right 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 um you know but i was listening to like certain styles of rap at that time ludicrous how witty he is yeah. that's a big you know eminem so that's kind of like when i fell into it i was like i found myself seeking andre 3000 outcast these clever rappers yeah, yeah, yeah. really were you know i guess a big spark for me even nelly and stuff like that um but i definitely feel i really i don't know i really championed it i really like my, i don't have yes men my sisters were always like you're good but Mm. This is where you aren't good. And mm. I remember my sister Novelette. I'll never forget. I made my first project. It was called No Studio. Grade 12. I was 17. And there was a project on it. A song on it, sorry. Yeah. Called Manufactured. Uh, and I talked about how like I'm manufactured to be so great. And she was like, this is the only really good song on this 21 track wow. EP. She's like, this is a good one. Hmm. She's like, it's kind of you know like a Nicki Minaj. I guess Nicki Minaj was just bubbling at the time. Right. And then she was like, you're really good. Like, you're really good at writing. I'm surprised. As my sister, I didn't know you had this in you. But I don't believe you. That's what she said to me. I don't believe you. When I listen to you, I don't believe what you're saying. And I was probably talking all sorts of garbage at that time. Like, oh, I got this gun. And da, da, da. I was probably talking all sorts of BS that you shouldn't believe because it's right. not true. Right. So it was like, and my, my, my ability to deliver, my voice, the timbre of it, it was just all not believable. But the writing was strong. That's what yeah. she said. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. Everything else needs to change. Everything you, else needs to get better. Do you write? Like, do I you write. Do you every, literally write? Your rap I write. Set? Yeah, okay. I write, and I write everything I do, and I think that that's something that I, I, I don't want to change. Right. Um, singing, 
it's cool. I like to songwrite with other people. But when it comes to rapping, like I'm not collaborating on a verse. <laughs> that's coming from me. Like that's that's okay. got to be a story that I'm telling you. That's from me. So you've talked about some hip hop influences. You, you did, and I want to get into the production on this record a little bit too, because you're a couple of the people you mentioned there are hovering in Dr. Dre territory. There's uh, soundscapes. But, oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, there's, there's stuff on this record for sure. But I, you mentioned Eminem, you mentioned Fifty Cent, yeah. in the Dre universe there. Oh yeah, for sure. That's what I meant. Yeah. But my question about your writing is, and your wit beyond rapping, is: Are you a comedy fan? Are you a fan of particular writers? Do those, if so, are they influencing you as a musician? Because we've mostly just talked about your musical pedigree, like your singing lessons. You're in a musical house. You're, getting, you're making music when you're a teenager. You had that confidence to do it because you have this musical mind and musical ear and right. musical ability. But are you absorbing other aspects of culture? Are they coming through? I would say so. I mean, funny enough, like I used to write a lot. I used to write like fiction novels a lot, a lot, you, a lot. You used to write fiction novels? Oh, yeah. Like so many. And I, I used to like read stories online and I'd have like online friends. And oh, yeah, I was I used to write a lot and it's probably a big part of why I write you know <laughs> as a rapper like why it made sense and why it was logical and why it was natural and authentic to me did you read because a- I genuinely enjoy writing and did reading. you read a lot I read a lot okay like, I started reading at three like that was like my thing I was really into reading and writing still very into reading and writing uh, looking forward to getting to that a little bit more with this project coming out I have a little more time and yeah, yeah. a lot more planes to be on for shows so a lot more time to be reading and I, I, I do feel there's a void of it but yeah like I'm I was always into like putting myself into somebody else's shoes and reading about controversial things I'd never experienced okay. I was really into that interesting and like controversial I love controversial <laughs> fiction I love it <laughs> I think it's the best thing ever or, or just like taboo like I, I, I like to read about things that people, you, you never see this book in school. Like I like, huh. I, I've read a lot of books in school yeah, yeah. and I already got that. I like the like not safe stuff. I like to like mm. go into things that exist in the world that we silence, just like what I'm talking about on my album. There's like real stories and narratives. Like let's read about the, pe- the perspective of this girl who was raped. Yeah. I would read that because I want to know this is the only real world experience I personally have with something like that. Right. So I want to read that. And if I have to write that, I then have to research that. And so like when I would write stuff that was like, I would write about topics I didn't know anything about. And then I would have to research it and I would have to learn about it. So like you would learn other people's narratives, not truly, yeah. but as a young person, it was like a way to, and maybe this came from like not, having friends in the first little bit it was like creating a narrative with people that didn't exist and it's like i'm having a conversation with somebody in my head and then i'm just putting it on paper but it's like okay you're this type of person and you're dating this type of person and how would you navigate it and then i gotta put myself in the head of that person that i made up and then write about how they would navigate Mm -hmm. it and that for me has allowed me to be very empathetic yeah put myself in other people's shoes and try to see things from other perspectives which i think is a big part of like telling stories. You can't just be willing to tell stories but not listen to them. Right. I want to do a little bit more writing fiction, a little bit more than writing fiction that is based on like fiction. Like I want to get closer to those facts. You, I really like Stephen King as well, by the way. Okay. <laughs> you like relatability, but you also like escapism. 
You seem like a very dynamic person that way. Like you like the. There's like two sides. Uh, absolutely, at least it seems to me, and I hear that as as in you as a as a, an artist as well as a musical artist as well. So, all right, that's fascinating. Thank you for answering those questions. Thanks. In terms of the production, you kind of stepped up more on this, right? Than maybe Flower City a little bit. Oh yeah, like yeah. You kind of souped like soup to nuts is the expression. Like bought like right from the beginning, from scratch, you were there. One of your, I know that you've got a few collaborators on this record in terms of production, among them Obuxum, who yes. uh, is a, a friend of mine. So, like, nice. So you, how did that work? What were you going for in terms of the music on this record? Because you, like I say, and if you agree, I think you agree, you're going, you have this, you're dynamic and I think you're an educator and entertaining. So you've got to figure out the right soundscape to balance that, yes. right? You're imparting serious stuff. You've got clever wordplay as well. Like you want it to be bangers. Yeah. So that's got to be, was that, it, dif- is that difficult? It was difficult in the beginning because I think I had to learn that what the work I had made before, which is Flower City, great project produced by Young Dreads and myself pretty much wholeheartedly. Yeah. It's just two people that made that record. I'm still so proud of it. I'm, it was, yeah. It's gotten me in a position where I've met all these wonderful people that have gotten me to a place where I now have this new body of work uh, called The 13th Floor. But I think I had to learn where that album lacked and where a lot of what I had done was lacking. And I started to get feedback from like real professionals that were like, the question was never my word, my words or my lyricism. It was always whether the full package truly supports what I'm saying. Like the music as well. Yeah, whether the sonic elements behind me really truly effectively support what I'm saying. And I felt like the majority of people felt that it didn't and that was there was a bit of a void and that it was okay but that the lyrics were beyond that and it needed to be a little more balanced and i didn't know what it meant to balance it but from the beginning process i I know i was like okay like let's just kind of like it'll be like a flower city part two and that's where my mind initially was and it was like "No, no, no 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 let's try these weird sounds that you've never done that you're definitely not going to like right. and let's write to them and let's create a you whole song that you won't like necessarily. Yes, yeah, like me. Like you it's wanted not to challenge gonna, yourself. It doesn't manifest, right. you know, and it's, it, it, I think the starting process was a bunch of like ideas that didn't manifest or turn into anything and they may be songs later. There are yeah. you know, ideas that I've penned that I recorded demos of and I got them and it's like, okay, you know, I, I started to feel stagnant hmm. um, in cr- the creation of this process, in the creative process of this record. I started to feel the stagnancy. I started to feel stale and I started to feel like it wasn't moving enough. On your own? You on mean? my own. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, but it was definitely my team. Like Toolman uh, from A Tribe Called Red is the co-executive producer of this album right. and he was a big hand in like pushing my boundaries yeah. in terms of even self-production. Like I produce and I just didn't trust my own production and he was like, do it more, do it more, do it more. Yeah, yeah, Let me yeah. hear more. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it, it, it got to a point where I was able to like trust other people with my work and then like get whatever they did and, and, and leave certain elements in. And then, you know, I was able to record all my own vocals. So the, the beauty of, 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 of the 13th floor, the creation, was that there were certain things I felt I still needed to do. Yeah. I still felt I needed to record my own vocals uh, in my own space. And I think that that's the most effective way to get a record for me is for me to, to do that. For me to be that part because I, it needs to be the right take. It needs to be the right tone. It, 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 so that for me, that performance aspect is, is so critical. And I, it's difficult to be in a room with someone who's criticizing it based on something I don't understand. Right. And so for me, recording my own vocals, I was able to do that for the album. But then I was able to be in a room with other people where I was able to create production-wise. 
and that I wasn't able to do for Flower City. It was all remote computer center. Right, 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 right. With, with Young Dreads. Yeah. Yeah. So I was able to truly build. I was able to fly Young Dreads out to the studio and build with him. I was able to take these stems and be like, okay, Toolman, what do you think you could do to this track that me and Young Dreads have already touched? And we've had it for two years and it turns into waves. That's waves. And we get yeah. Sean Leon on it. Yeah. And so it was like true collaborative efforts, you know, hands off a little bit, except for the things I really felt I needed to do, which was, it's very, li- like, I find like as a writer, I got to do that. As the as the as a singer, I have to record that. I have to sing. Yeah. I have to write those parts. But the collaboration aspect, I need people to like collaborate with the idea that they agree with or that they believe. And I just felt there was so many beautiful, so much beautiful energy around me, and they were supportive of what I had to say. Yeah. And then they're just like, "Here's how I can contribute." And I was able to. Because there was so much freedom in the things I felt I needed to do, I was able to give freedom in the things other people felt they needed to do. And then in the end, it was like, okay, here's all the files. Does it sound good enough to send off to Dan Weston to mix and master? And I was able to prove everything. I was able to turn what yeah. I wanted up, what I wanted down. The things I was unsure about, I was able to make that final decision. And I was, you know, I, you know I'm a very DIY, I do everything myself person. Yeah. And this album taught me how to, to learn to not be so much... You know, it's great that you can do all these things, but given that you can do them, how can you now share this workload mm. with people who also have things to say and can contribute in a positive way that can take this project from this level to this level? And I was able to learn over the last two years how to do that. It took some time. Uh, it took some mentorship. Uh, it took space. And, you know, I was doing the sorority album and having that kind of hands-off mentality for a bit also helped. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I just had this, I had this mentality of you record a record, you put it out. You record a record, you put it out. You just, and I was, I sat on some of these concepts for a while. And some of them, I was like, you know what? Mm-mm, I don't like it anymore. Let's redo it. Let's rejig it. Yeah. You know, and Women Color went through so many versions. It's crazy. It's, it's interesting when you're trying, when you're on a journey of self-empowerment and trying to build yourself up, you can become a bit of a control freak. You can. And Tim, like Toolman, the very beginning, I remember he, we, there was like this like disclaimer, almost like a debrief, where he was like, okay, here's how the next week's going to go for you. It's going to be new. It's going to be different. You've never been through this before. Your life's going to change at the end of all of this. Like, he, he basically said all of this. He's a very I, generous spirit tool man. Very, like he's very, very much so. eager and he's very exuberant and excited, but he does have that. He does have that, like, here's how it's going to go. Yeah. Like, he has that vibe, too. And there, were, and there were things I fought back on. Yeah. Things I fought back on that in the end went the way I thought they would, and things I fought back on that in the end went the way he thought they would. But that collaborative That's effort. That's important. I've never, ever, ever had that like this. Like, yeah. on this, the beauty of it on this album, like, this body of work is so many people, down to the visuals, and having Adiemi and, you know, Adiemi, or, or, or he goes by Young Yemi or Sotio, do all the visual you know the, the the still visuals and be a huge hand in the video Music visuals, videos, yeah. bringing in Shanik Tana to do the videos yeah. uh, with Lorenzo Colocado. These guys are unbelievable. It's, it's such a team effort. It's crazy. Like, well, it's it's born uh, whatever. It's born fruit or whatever. I don't know why I, I <laughs> use that expression, but it's an amazing album. I congratulate you on it again. Thank you. Are, uh, it's it's coming out. What's next for you? Do you know what comes next? Beyond, I, mean, I mean, you got tours and whatnot, of course. Yeah, there's a lot of shows. I have my first show in the UK booked. My first show in the in the in my first two shows in Europe. So the, Amazing. right in UK and then in the Netherlands. That's Thank exciting. you so much. It's, it's so exciting. When music starts to take you away from your home a little bit, that's when you're like, uh, you know, oh, it's something's taking me happening. Home. My mom was born in the UK too. Oh, so no, I didn't know that's that. even another beautiful thing for nice. me. Like I've been. Have you been before? No, oh, and like wow. my mom's 
Bayesian, but born in the UK. So I've been to Barbados. My dad's Jamaican, moved here. Right. I've been to Jamaica, but I've never been to the UK. So it feels like a bit of like seeing my people a little bit too. Because, yeah. you know, my mom was there for the first seven years of her life. And so, you know, as we talked about those first origin years is a big part of who you are. So yeah. I feel I may even come to an understanding of who my mom is as a person by going. Right. And I think that that'll be a beautiful thing. But definitely a lot of shows. I have my second show in the States, in Denver. You know, we're doing some stuff with North by Northeast, um, doing Jazz Fest with the sorority, uh, the Quebec. De, de la fête. I don't know how to Festival say it. Festival d'été? Yeah. Yeah. Festival I'm performing there. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I gotta remember how to say it and know how to say Festival it before Festival d'été, yeah. Festival d'été, okay. Yeah. Summer uh, festival, I guess is basically. what it means. Okay. But it's a massive festival. I've heard Huge. it's really yeah. big. Yeah. You know, Pop Montreal, I'm pretty sure that's something coming up. Or yeah. I hope I'm not saying that too well, early. Whatever. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Um, but lots of shows coming up. Lots Hillside, of sorority stuff Hillside coming Festival up. Hillside Festival Hillside Festival, 100%. Shout yeah. out Guelph. Woo. Um, so <laughs> we'll be doing that. Um, I'm actually transitioning out of um, working full time. Okay. Uh, so by May 4th, I will not have a job. I will have a job, but it will be this. And I think that will be the biggest. I've, like, I've worked at long, I work at a retail store just up the street called Long and McQuaid Music Retail. I sell, rent musical gear. I encourage and try to share my passion with customers day in and day out. Yeah. And I've been doing that for the past almost four years. Right. But I have never, ever done music as a musician full time. Right. And I feel like what I've been able to accomplish without 40 hours a week is like, I don't know how I was able to do no, it. It's amazing. And I do believe that I have a positive outlook. This is why, you know, I'm cutting out some of these sugars uh, <laughs> to go back to the beginning uh, so that, you know, I can, I can genuinely do this uh, so that my body as a vessel is strong enough to take the road wear and tear that I can see coming. Yeah. Um, I can foresee coming and, and to even ensure that your mental state is, is, is good. And you know, you don't have too much, you know, acid in your system and you can think clearly and freely and feel neutral about things. If your body is on fire, you can't be neutral about things. And is so this cause I'm eating this butter tart. You're worried about my sugar intake. Absolutely not. I really wish I could have the butter you're tart, gonna, but I'm gluten free. Oh, you're gluten free too. Okay. <laughs> not by choice. Okay. I understand. Okay. <laughs> right. So, yeah. My body's removed a few things. I understand. Yeah. I understand. Okay. But okay. It's, it's, it's kind of one of those things where I'm, ju I'm just recognizing like this is your journey. It's up yeah. to you what happens next. Yeah. And so I have to, to decide this is how I'm going to get paid. This is how I'm going to generate an income and generate a living. And this is how I choose to do it. This is the things I want to say and who I'm going to share it with. And, you know, the, the, I, for me, I just think, okay, how do we sustain and maintain right now? How do we continue to reach a masses? with this positive message? How do yeah. we reach more people? How do I reach more people that can educate me to now give me insight for that next piece of the journey? I don't know what I'm going to say next. You don't know. Don't know. Uh, this is what I was getting at. I don't at. know what I'm going to share next. Right, okay. I know the types of conversations I have with Brian to close the record. These are conversations I have on a day-to-day. -day, but where exactly it's going to go next, I can't say because okay. I'm still in the now. Okay. Um, but I've always been a progressive thinker, I think. I've always been someone that, you know, when you just want to have fun, it's like, oh, I don't, don't invite Havaya. Like, and I, I, I felt that. And now I feel like people are more so like, okay, let's invite her and let's have these. These conversations can be fun, I Absolutely. think. Because they're empowering and they're, they're exciting and they're relative to us. I like to have yeah. conversations that are relative to me. And I don't want to just talk about what Kim Kardashian was wearing. Like, let's talk about how good lemon water is for you. Like, yes. I'm going to, like, I get it. I every, get morning, you're, every morning you're supposed to have it, right? Well, I'm, I'm starting to do it every morning yeah. and I'm seeing the difference in only doing it for less than 14 days. You got to do like an alkaline system thing going oh, on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're all about it. Okay. I'm all about neutralizing <laughs> the body. I'm all about, you know, and like 
these are not necessarily things that like I'm not a nutritionist, so I don't right. necessarily put these things in my in my music. But there's something so beautiful about feeling whole and about feeling yourself, yeah. uh, and what you can do when you don't have clutter and distraction. Right. To me, is so empowering. That's the most empowering thing. And entrepreneurship comes out of recognizing your power. I agree. I agree. Well, I mean. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I really did. Okay. I hope so. That's good. You're great at what you do. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah. I'm doing all right. I'm doing my best here with my tea and my butter chart. <laughs> uh, is there a song? Oh, sorry. Before we get to the song, where can people go to learn more about you that are listening if they want to find out more about Avaya Mighty? I'd say my Instagram is a, is a great source of, of constant here's the happenings of the day. So. I'm hearing this more and more from people. They don't say their websites or their Twitters or whatever. or even It's my Instagram. They don't even say their Spotify or their Apple or whatever, like their Bandcamp. It's just like, go to my Instagram. I find that interesting. To, yeah, to learn about me, I would say my Instagram because I'm updating constantly and it's it's my present day that's being uploaded. Okay. Like pictures. and But everything is very much the now. So if you want to learn about me now, that's definitely where you can, and it's the most accessible. You know, you can reach out to yep. me there. If you have questions, you can DM me there. That's just Havaya Mighty? At Havaya Mighty, H A V I H M I G H T Y kind of thing. <laughs> um, but like Spotify for sure. I run up those numbers. Um, I'm dropping more singles. Uh, my new single is going to be coming out very soon, Blame. Uh, within the next couple of days, actually, we drop okay. in a video for that as well. Um, Apple Music, if, if you use Apple Music, I'm there as well. Title, I'm there as well. Uh, Bandcamp, there as well. You're on everything. Facebook, yeah, I got to be accessible. Yeah, uh, yeah. Definitely got to be, excuse me, accessible so that people can hear, you know, again, my main goal at this current time is to share my personal narratives with as many people as possible. And so I have to be on all these portals and channels to reach all these people. Not everybody uses Spotify, not everybody yeah. uses Apple Music. And so just to reach the biggest mass possible for me, <laughs> it's got to be on everything, you know? Well, it's great. I'm glad you're active and doing things. Um, if there's a song from the new album that we can go out on right now. What would you pick and why? I'm just curious. Anything. Anything from the that record. That we could go out We're on? Gonna, I'm going to play it. I'm going to play people a song from your new hmm. album and you can pick whatever you want. I think given the nature of our conversation, then Women Color would be suitable. Okay. I think oftentimes in interviews, we end up talking about race a lot. It's very obvious that I'm black. You know, It's obvious that I'm a woman as well. But we end up talking about race a lot. Is that? And maybe not focusing so much on the aspect of me being a woman. I don't mean to go down another rabbit hole here as we're <laughs> wrapping up, but is that frustrating for you that you get asked these kinds of questions maybe more than um the honestly no it's not okay. because i've the the amount of the fact that people are willing to have the conversation i try not to have closed-mindedness in opinions that people are willing to have because they're willing to have them well, plus on your record, if they actually are listening to what you're saying, you are talking about these things. I'm talking about these things. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's. I don't know. It could be me. Maybe I'm going there more. But it's not so much frustrating. It's just this is something we need to speak on yeah, more. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't tell you. Like, it's so funny. I was at work the other day, and this happened twice in one day, where, and it even happened today, but th this other day happened twice in one day. Older white gentleman, I'm helping. I'm helping him. He's so happy. I was able to solve his problem in five to seven minutes. He looks at me, shakes my hand, and says, "You don't look as like you know as much as you do." Right. And I was like, while smiling, it took me by surprise. I was like, "Oh, what does that mean?" And he was like, "Oh, what? is that prejudice?" Then the next gentleman, an hour later, black gentleman this time, walks up to the department I'm in. I'm standing beside a coworker who produced Wishy Washy actually, Taboo. Oh, nice. He works with me. Nice. We're both leaving same time, ironically, but he's there. He's talking to one of our regular customers, Ken. 
and it's like a three-way conversation but i'm kind of like the outside one so yeah when this customer walks up i'm like i should help him like yeah. i should do a job yeah, yeah sure so i turn to the customer i see his cable in his hand he looks like he's got a question i say hey how can i help you sir are you looking for anything in particular or are you just browsing he looks at me he looks at the, co- the spencer my staff behind me and the customer behind me and he goes i should probably speak to one of these guys not to mention one of them's not a staff Jesus. i should probably speak to one of these guys yeah. looks back at me and says because you don't look like you can answer my question good lord i work i'm in, so sorry i don't know what else to say uh, what can you say to that yeah. right and then proceeded to say i'm just joking i do this at every store i go to so like in one word you're joking but in the other breath no no they're not joking that's right. not yeah and even today like the the <laughs> who knows what this is woman or race i don't know it comes to a point where you don't even know you don't even know um this guy walks up to the counter and and let's like put in i work at I work in the rental department, so I'm in the rental department where we rent speakers and we rent mics and we rent all these technical things that people don't think I know how to handle. But I've been here for four years. I mean, I'm not just a token at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this gentleman walks up, still being respectful. He's a gentleman. He walks up to the counter and he walks up making eye contact with me. So I say, hey. And he turns to my white staff beside me, who's very, very clearly busy. Right. And he's not even a floor staff. He's the educational rep. He's quickly doing something. He's off to the back room and he says hi in response to him. And I turned away and I did what I had to do. And later, I was like, at least, you know, I was like, yeah, that guy's this and that, da, 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 da. At least you knew him. And my staff says, knew him? I've never met that guy in my life. And I was busy. He was actually bothering me. Yeah. I, the comfort that he had to have the conversation with my white male staff was so comfortable that I thought they knew each other. <laughs> the the level of deep-seated pain that leads to prejudice, I, I view it as pain now. It's not even... I, I know people have bigotry in them sometimes, but I'm not aware of my difference until someone chooses to remind me of it. Right. Like, I, yes. I don't even think about it. Like, I'm just like, oh, why did that person treat me? Like, you're going through the same thing and yeah. you're trying to process, is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm black? And yeah. I, I don't I don't recognize my difference until somebody, I think, from some place of pain feels the need to point it out. Yeah. And uh, again, whole other rabbit hole. Maybe the next time we do a podcast. We'll dig in a little we'll deeper. Get, get into that. <laughs> I, I just want to... Uh, I think what you just said is really powerful. Yeah. That it comes out of their own pain. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I really think that's what all of this separating each other and any kind of segregation is uh, it's fear but i think it's fear manifested it's it's fear manifesting itself from a place of pain and um anyway i i'm sorry you go through this um i appreciate that i mean i'm sure i'm I, sure you go through i do your own. I, I i but i am a man so it's a bit different right. on some level i, I don't have it I don't feel like I have a twofold, if that, if you will. You know what I right. mean? Right. Like, Sometimes they they compound. Yes, exactly. I don't n- think I have that. Uh, maybe I don't know. It's, I see. I see it if I'm like around like, like, one of my coworkers, Wes. He's black. Yeah. And I see like, the the roles. Like it'll start with I need this white staff, and then if I can't get them, then I'll talk to Wes. He's uh, like a secondary option. Would prefer not to, but I'll talk to him. Yeah. And then I'm like that last. Like anyone else available then it'll be like looking at me like is there anyone that can help me with this thing while asking the girl with the name tag yeah yeah yeah. right and it's just like they can't fathom that i'm the one to help you yeah i don't think you and 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 oddly enough i think marginalized people don't do that i don't do that to i I don't know why like i don't like you don't i would never think judge someone on their ability to help me based on how they look 
I've never walked into a bank and was like, I need that bank teller to be a white yeah, woman, I mean, or never, I'm not going to uh, bank with yeah, you. Exactly. Like and I'm you ne- can't do that No, at I, the bank. I know, but I've just never thought that way. I mean, sure, certainly, I feel like I have a, I'm a good judge of character on some level, and at some point, if the interaction is going sideways... Then you might say, you, know, might, what, you know what, maybe, maybe I need help with someone. And that, give that's, the person the opportunity. That's they different. work at the establishment. Yes, I think that's different. You've given them a chance. They say, I don't know what I'm doing. And you say, okay, well, maybe we'll get... Whatever. Anyway. It's I, like seeing a female mechanic and going, wow, there's a female mechanic. But that's I don't, interesting. I wouldn't point that out. Like, I just... That's not... I'm not saying I'm a good person here. I'm just saying there. I feel like maybe because of how marginalized I felt in my life at various right. points, I just wouldn't go that way. I wouldn't think to be like... This person must not know what they're doing because of the way they look. And so this is what I'm saying. Yeah. I may recognize that there's yeah. a female mechanic and that's right. an oddity, the role, and be like, wow, there's a female mechanic. Right. And then I move on with yeah. my millennial. <laughs> I'm not thinking about what, yeah, whether yeah. or not she's going to touch my car and what she's going to do. Yeah, exactly. And that, I think it's, 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 it's taking that, that thought of what we were predisposed to thinking yeah. people are supposed to be able to do and then having a reason behind it. I may recognize that we don't see very many women mechanics, but when I see one, I'm like, wow, well, I feel I, pride. When I say the pain thing, I think it's your own self-consciousness. Is it's There's a lot going on psychologically. You see a female mechanic and you're bothered by it because maybe you didn't become a mechanic. Maybe right. you, you're not you know, mechanically inclined and you regret that. And like, and it's you don't whole, understand how... It's a whole therapy a session whole, like yeah. where you're like, oh, where is this coming from? Like, Let's get to it. And you can see it very quickly. Like, Clearly this person wishes they knew how to do that job and they're going to lash out at the person who can do that job because of their difference from them in some way. Trying to find something they can... Anyway... Well, you know, and you, you actually, sorry, sorry to extend this further, but you touch on a really good point because as somebody who works on, in, in, in a technical field musically yeah. and I'm helping people with troubleshooting the reason that their DJ controller sounds wrong and I can give you the reason why you need a balanced or unbalanced cable or a mono or a stereo cable and whether or not you need a DI and, you know, what TRS means versus, you know, quarter inch patch right. mono. What are these differences? I can explain all of those. I can apply them to your live set and I can apply it to my own. Um, I have seen men that I've helped at my store be unable to receive the information from me but be able to receive the same information from somebody else one particular instance I was helping a gentleman he was like a I think he was like an East Indian gentleman so I'm helping him he had a mixer he had a wireless mic he's like none, none of it works it doesn't work right. and off top I'm already thinking well you're plugging the mic into the mixer and if the mixer's not set right none of it's gonna work right. so if the mixer's wrong the mic probably works right. and in my head I'm like it probably works but let me test it. So yeah, I'm yeah, explaining yeah. to the gentleman gain staging and how important that is and getting into all these technical things. And it's a, it's a little over his head, I start to realize. And he's just kind of like, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So I was like, okay, let me hook it all up. I'll call you around the counter. I'll show you. Yeah. And it, I'm also going to test it. So you'll, I'm testing it. Yeah. And if it works, I'll show you exactly what was going wrong. And I, I already had an idea of what it was. And it did end up being that. But as I'm setting it up, I'm plugging the mixer in. I'm getting the mic going. He calls one of my white male coworkers over. I'm not paying attention to what they're doing. I'm just doing my thing. Yeah. My coworker comes back to me. His name is Andrew. He's in a group called Twin Robo. These are all musicians. <laughs> and he says, oh, I got to tell you something. Actually, never mind. Never mind. And I'm like, no. What do you have to tell me? Because now I'm too curious. Yeah. And he pulls me off to the side and he's like, that customer just said that you don't know what you're doing. And can I help him? Right. And he like whispered it. And I was like, Okay. And I've had instances where male customers have made me cry at work and, oh, you know, where I've silenced myself. And I was like, this time, no. Yeah. And I turned over, I walked to the gentleman, and I very politely said, because I already solved the problem at this point. Yeah. So I was about to call her on the counter. But before I did, I was like, 
normally what he said would make me uncomfortable. Right. Well, I'm going to turn that discomfort and project it right back to you. And I'm going to force you to answer the question as to why you think I don't have the knowledge needed to fix your problem. Right. And I said, I heard <laughs> just like that. <laughs> but it was very nice about it at the same time. So it's like, you can't, it's like confusing. It's very uncomfortable for the other person. I'm sure. Right. But I just held and I was a little uncomfortable too, but I was like, nah, this is your power and you have to, you have to say something. Right. He has to double think twice about what just happened the next time. Yeah. And I said, I heard that you don't think that I'm knowledgeable enough to solve your problem. Why is that? And he was like, oh, oh, no, 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 I, I, I'm so sorry you feel that way. You're a very nice girl. And he, he, he backpedaled so hard. I thought he was on a bike. I'm sorry, I it don't was, mean to laugh. No, but, and you yeah. can laugh. It was funny. Right. It was funny because... It was so wrong, but had I not said anything, you would never recognize the wrong in it. And all I had to say was, why do you think? All I had to do was ask him a valid question for him to say, you're a very nice girl, which is not relative at all. No, that's kind of... It's actually condescending. That's condescending, but you may have performed a small superhero gesture that day because you might have changed that person. I may have. Yeah. I may have at least made him like think twice about the next time he deals with a female staff and then tells... The, the, the male co-worker yeah. that she's stupid. Yes. You know? And yeah. on top of it, even having the male staff tell me and share with that with me is a good, you know, it's, it's allyship. Too. Yes. Right? It dis- it disimpa- it, it, yeah, that's right. That's right. And it even dis- that, that yeah. I was mentioning, you know, the, the black gentleman who, who said what he said about the cable and right. I don't look like I can answer his question. Yeah. My co-worker, also the producer of Wishiwashi Tab- uh, Taboo, Spencer, I always plug people because they're that's talented. Good. That's good. But he, and he's a very very like good person good hearted human being like yeah. he just produced a remix for Sonny and those res kids he always wants to be integral so he always wants to ensure your message it shines through he's white but he's an ally in my opinion his allyship shows but he's also not confrontational yeah. and when he first worked along McQuaid if there's a confrontation he's just gonna keep his mouth shut not right. because he doesn't think he should but because his personality and to see that person Turn to that customer. I went to the back. I went to the back. Like I, the customer's like, why are you mad? Why are you mad? Condescending. I'm the angry black female. Right. I'm not mad, sir. Right. I'm walking away because you said you don't need my help. Right. I left. And when I came back, everyone was like, you know what Spencer did? He walked up to the customer. He left his customer to walk up to the customer. And he's like, sir, I just want to let you know that what you did is disgusting. What you did is disgusting. And if you're looking for a man's help, I'm letting you know right now it won't be me. Wow. That's and awesome. that for me, that kind of allyship. That's the conversations that we have yeah. sitting in my car. And that turned into the other coworker, Wes, who was not yet strong enough to say anything, also saying, yeah, why did you think she wasn't able to help your problem? Now the customers, oh, no one can take a joke. No one can take a joke. And everyone's like, this is not a joke. And now nobody's helping him. Right. <laughs> he's looking around for his own allyship and he doesn't have any because he's disrespected one, two, three people. Yeah. And now he calls a guy from the guitar department who has no idea what's gone on. <laughs> he's none the wiser. And that person is not really tailored to help you with your VCR RCA question that me, Wes and Spencer could have helped you with. Right. And you deserve that. You deserve that. And I hope maybe that was, I mean, the way he was behaving apparently afterwards, I don't know that he learned anything, but maybe him not receiving male help because of his dismissal of a woman's help might make him think twice. Because apparently, I do this at every store I go to. Right. Well, you got to stop, Right, sir. exactly. Right? I, I, so It's good that you spoke up. It's amazing that your colleagues backed you up. I think that made it even more powerful because yeah. if I'm a black female, we have this older black male who has a perception of what black women are like already, Yeah. Um, what women are like, and then what black women are like already. Uh, and it's me who's walking away. I'm mad. 
and I'm emotional. Yeah. So you're an angry black woman, you're emotional because women are emotional. And it's going to be attributed to that. But when the guys stand up and say, hey, you're awful. And you have to sit back like, whoa, I, I was looking for your help. I kind of championed you. I put you on a pedestal and you removed yourself from that, that pedestal. Like that allyship for somebody like him is almost more powerful than me walking away. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm grateful for that. And I, again, these narratives and these stories, they're better lived when more of us that look different understand it and can like come together on the, on the point. And so that for me, like that's the most important thing about talking about these things that we experience and these things that we go through yeah. is that, you know, it's interesting. Like I talked to Spencer as a white man and I, you know, he's someone who like his production name is taboo. He's very much like, I don't find that I assimilate to, and maybe that's just something he naturally feels, but he also something that he's told me that he does. He's like, I purposely alienate myself from the norm because I know that I am that. Yeah. So he has tattoos right. and he's like, I commit to these tattoos because I can never reverse it. I right. mean, I guess unless he went through the pain sure, process. Right. But I can't reverse the fact that these beautiful roses on my neck will mean that I can't get a, an office job. Mm -hmm. And like, but I can as a white man. I can just walk right in. That's my job. But these tattoos make me now feel a smidget of what you may feel. Right. Based on the decision I chose. I understand that it's based on something I chose versus something I'm born with. Yeah. But it's like somebody who like, puts themselves in those positions they do that and they can exp they can show true allyship because they can only experience they can experience it slightly yeah slightly yeah and yeah, then, yeah 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 right so yeah those my my the, the best people my friends my even my dj my dj chelsea you know she's a light-skinned female we talk about colorism all the time and and how it affects us when yep. we're together versus apart and so it's yeah always trying to like educate and learn but always positivity in the end like i'm not really having arguments with these people we're like no. you know combating and we're not we're, we're like coming to understanding and making music dope music yeah, out yeah, of it. yeah yeah there's an i have my, my dj singing on the end of in women color just because i'm like here's an sm58 you can sing you could contribute to this as a woman <laughs> right let me get more women involved this is a record and i don't i want only women to touch this song right let's get a buxom to yeah. produce yeah. me to produce you to sing I, I need a little bit of guitar part and i'd love to ask mike regario for my work because he's great but i'm gonna play this part because in women color you can play did you play guitar i play guitar oh, on okay. that song oh, sweet yeah it's not a very intricate part but you did it okay i definitely did <laughs> bye this this was Amazing. I appreciate your time. Thank you for being on the show. So we're going to play in women color yes. from 13th floor. And thank you so much for being on my show and for this conversation. And I wish you the best, you. best of luck with everything. I appreciate it. If I was taller, you would run for me, huh? If I wasn't ballin', I couldn't be a cup of tea, huh? I mean, what if I wasn't somebody, huh? Since rapping makes you so uncomfortable, huh? You never actually fuck with me, huh? They used to say I'm too loud, but that's cool now. Love my skin, always been proud, guess that's in now. They used to say I'm too black with that crew uh -huh. rap, and I'm courier the boom bap over new trap. Huh, wearing your maze. Before they called us monkey niggas, where are those days? That cotton picking, fucking with them, where are those slaves? I want them on the rise like Veracose Fangs. 
And I'm darker than my friends yeah. And finally they see it and they start to get the trends I gotta do two times more to get four times less But it's cool cause I'm sharper in the end Still let's talk about it About the fact I got commercial appeal So okay. ultimately it's them dollars that be turning the wheel Most my homies they want gold and not that surgical steel They wanna make more than we currently will I mean I get it I'm trying to stack 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 All of the coin 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 I love that I'm black 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 So fuck all that noise 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 Boing 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 Lady parts but I'm fierce This a daily dog from my fears It's a lazy dog from my peers I'm a paper palm with my tears. I gotta interrupt the service. Huh. I gotta switch it up. I gotta think above the surface. They dropping the change. I'm picking up the purses. History deserted. Using to be associated with you. I don't need shit. And most importantly, I don't need you. All my life, I hung with the man Yeah, sometimes they gotta let you know that you different. I used to point guard, set the play on some bullshit. Boys tall, seventh grade, still a small shrimp. We was running, we was shooting, and uh, this one boy was moving rooted than he usually does. At one point, he threw my ball over my reach. I'm talking way down the street, like 45 feet. I fucking step like, is you serious, nigga? This ain't the end, there ain't no period, nigga. This is a mess, I ain't inferior, nigga. Bro, he stepped to me cleanly, and he cuffed me by the neck, and he beat me. <laughs> I struggle about it now. It's just my struggle with the power divide Cause even as little kids He told me with his hand around me That all the other boys don't ever wanna hang around me And they don't fuck with tomboys It's a squad of small boys He was swinging hard like I ain't had my dad around me Like I ain't always had my sisters and my fam around me Side eye, how them niggas used to act around me Looking back, I ain't have a bad ass around me Still I leveled up, I always had that ladder around me Now I'm rocking big stages and they gather around me I got nothing but them groupies and them fans around me Old can you see by the dawn's early light that I'm proud like the star-spangled banner around me? Shorty gloss like that lack around me. More boss than the man's around me. Little nigga couldn't shake me. Little nigga couldn't break me. Nah. Little nigga couldn't shake me. Little nigga couldn't break me. Very, very special thanks to Havaya Mighty. Man, I had a lot of fun speaking with Havaya. We chatted after this interview was done. We kept going. We kept talking about things. It was, it was really fun. And I really want to thank Havaya Mighty for being on this, the 475th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on lots of other things. Spotify, YouTube, Audio Boom. You can find the show pretty much anywhere you like. If you can't find a particular episode that you're looking for. Maybe it's it was early back in the days, you know, 400 episodes ago, 350 episodes ago. I don't know why I'm picking those two numbers. Anyway, if you can't find an episode that you're looking for, if you want to learn or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at @vishcreative or follow me directly at @vishkana. And you can listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time. Around the world at CFRU.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. Thanks to all of you who do this. It means the world. I want to thank uh, Pete Stracadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support of this show uh, for the show. Also, my friend Jim Guthrie, he lets me use a, a song of his on the show every week. You're likely listening to it in the background right now. And you can learn more about Jim and his music at Jim Guthrie, 
www.thepodcastnetwork.org. And finally, you. Thank you for listening to this episode and for subscribing to the podcast and telling your friends about the show and spreading the word about it that way. That all helps. It seems to actually help. I notice when people talk about the show here and there that it's, I, can, I can tell that it has re- Then I get a note saying, hey, I didn't know about the show. Thanks for making the show. That helps. It all makes me feel like, okay, this is reaching one person somewhere. But anyway, I appreciate that. Thank you. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.